0: Well, get out of here in a hurry just a bit outside if anything travels that far i'd have a damn stewardess on it don't you think
1: it's time for powell at the park
2: one constant through all the years ray has been baseball cubs socks
1: all your chicago baseball news
0: dynamite drop in money here's your host kevin powell Play ball!
1: Episode number nine of the Powell at the Park podcast. Thank you for listening. I'm Kevin Powell. If you haven't already, please subscribe, review, rate on iTunes. Much appreciated. You can always listen on WGNRadio.com or Google Play. Anywhere you can find pods, regular pods, you can find this one. Uh, Thank you again for tuning in. Episode number nine. Here's what we got today. Gas Money Bob. The one and only Gas Money Bob, who um, is a fixture in the Chicago sports social media scene, I guess. Um... He's got thoughts. Gas Money Bob's got thoughts. Brought him in. We had a really in-depth baseball conversation since this is a baseball podcast. We we got into things for about 90 seconds to two minutes, and the other 95% of the conversation naturally gravitated towards Bears talk because that's what Gas Money Bob does. That's what he knows. He knows the Bears. So if you're looking for a, a full-blown in-depth baseball convo, Gas Money Bob, uh, probably not going to get it, but he does have some interesting thoughts about unwritten rules that I think you should hear. Um, and in, in terms of the Bears, Gas Money Bob makes a guarantee that one of their draft picks is going to the... The Hall of Fame. So that's just your basic conversation with Gas Money Bob. Uh, you can read his stuff at Barstool Chicago. Uh, appreciate him jumping on. We also talk with Tony Andraki from NBC Sports Chicago. Tony's been on the pod before. I believe it was episode 3 or 4 or 2. One of those. Uh, thanks to Tony. We just talk Cubs. A little bit of everything. A little bit of you Darvish struggles. A little bit of Ian Happ struggles. The uh, great starts to the season for Albert Almora and Javi Baez. We talk about the division a little bit. And I also talked with Sean Hunter. He's the owner of the Chicago Dogs, this is the new pro baseball team in town. Their headquarters in Rosemont. They got a brand spanking new ballpark, Impact Park, right by that Rosemont, uh, Rosemont Entertainment Area, the MB Financial Park, or whatever that whatever they call it. Um, you know, they bowling alleys over there. There's a Zanies over there. And bars and all that good stuff So right across, just west of that uh, On the other side of the on 294 There's a brand new park So Mr. Sean Hunter joins me To talk about the team And uh, you know, if you're out in the burbs It's a good spot, you get a cheap ticket Go get some good food, uh, have some beers Talks about some other promotional stuff They've got going on as well So that's what we've got, Gas Money Bob, Tony Andraki And Sean Hunter from the Chicago Dogs but We're going to start the episode With a rundown all right, on this week's rundown, a couple things caught my eye. Gordon Wittenmeyer from the Chicago Sun-Times, and I get into this a little bit more with Tony Andracchi as well, but uh, there's sort of been this conversation about, you know, for Cub fans in the baseball world, should the Cubs have gone with Jake Arrieta or you Darvish? And there's a lot to weigh into that. And Gordon Wittenmeyer went to Philly, and he got this great conversation, this great interview with Jake Arrieta about how the whole contract talks uh, went down. And this is from Wittmeyer's piece in the Sun-Times. After months of waiting, of talks with no offers, of watching time stand still for an entire class of all-star free agents, Jake Arrieta heard from Cubs president Theo Epstein. Quote, this is from Arrieta. He made an offer, but in my heart, I believe that he knew I would say no, or that I would want to negotiate, which would make it easier for him to go sign Darvish. He called it literally the uh, he called literally the night before Darvish signed and said, "Here's the offer. Take it or leave it. If you don't want it, we're going to try to sign Darvish." As soon as possible, six years, one hundred twenty million dollars is what Gordon reported. The Cubs offered. Cubs went on to sign Darvish, six year, one hundred twenty six million dollars. Arietta got a three year, seventy five million with the Phillies. There are escalators um, that could grow. Um, the, the, the length of the deal could go to five years. The amount of money could go to one hundred thirty five million dollars. Arietta says, "Quote: I intend to be here for five years or longer." Um, you know this. First of all, it's great stuff, great work from Gordon on this because there has been the speculation. And Gordon does say that, you know, the four year $110 million offer that was reported that the Cubs had, had given to Arietta were that never happened. And apparently there was not a whole lot of talks between Arietta, said there was none contract talks through most of the winter between Arietta and the Cubs. So, you know, I respect the hell out of Arietta on this. I mean, you get offered a six-year, $120 million deal. You say no, you bet on yourself, and, you know, you get three years, 75, and could get even more than what the Cubs offer. I I just more so must respect the fact that he he did bet on himself. He said, no, I understand the deal, but I'm going to go out there and see what I can get. So, Arietta to Philly, and it's paid off. Philly's off to a pretty good start, so is Arietta. And, uh, you know, his first five starts, 3 1, 3 4 9 ERA. So, um, Arietta's got a lot of confidence in himself. I just wanted to, uh, I just thought it was great work from Wittenmeyer to get that story because it hasn't been clear. We haven't gotten the actual answer of how this whole thing went down. And we finally got it. Direct from the source, Jake Arietta. Great stuff from Gordon. Interesting stuff from Arietta. On the White Sox note of things for the rundown, I want to talk about Michael Kopeck and Dylan Cease because both of those guys had, in their most recent starts, pretty damn good outings, particularly Cease. We'll get to him in just a second. But Michael Kopech hit the 100 pitch mark, and he went six innings, three earned runs, Couple walks, six strikeouts in his most recent outing. He has a two six seven ERA on the season. Good stuff from Kopech. Now Dylan Cease had his finest performance of the season with the Winsome Salem Dash. Kopech with Triple A, in Triple A, I should say. Uh, Cease seven innings, one hundred one pitches, twelve strikeouts, no walks, just two hits allowed. Easily his best outing walks had had been an issue. Six walks in his previous start. He only lasted three and two thirds in his April 25th outing. Bounces back with seven innings, 12 strikeouts. Impressive stuff from Cease. Now Cease is the guy, like he's my guy that I've been saying Like nobody's paying enough attention to him. I guess people are now because he he sort of was the trendy who are we not paying most attention to that we need to be. And I saw him at spring training, and I I liked what I saw, and he's got some great stuff. And a lot of people have have, have even comped him to Kopech in that regard. They're both power pitchers. And we had Rick Hahn, Sox GM, on this podcast about five, six, seven weeks ago. And I brought up Dylan Cease to him, and this is what he had to say. Boy, this kid... uh
3: has probably as high as upside as any pitcher in our system Uh, and and I include Kopech in that Uh, power stuff great breaking ball uh, feel for the, the the change up uh Great composure on the mound, competitor. Uh, we're we're really really happy with where Dylan's at right now. Uh, the thing with Dylan is that not actually too dissimilar from where Michael Kopeck was a year ago. He hadn't ha- Dylan has yet to have that season that Michael had in 2017, where he takes the ball every fifth day and gets through a full starter's workload over the course of the season. Uh, you know, he had a little bit of an ankle injury last year that set him back for a period of time. Uh, uh, had some fatigue at the end of the year that set him back. Those are the kind of things we're looking to avoid uh, with Dylan over the course of the 2018 season. Much as it was with Michael, we love this uh, a year ago. We love the stuff. Take the ball every fifth day. Uh, handle that starter's workload, and the stuff's going to take care of the rest. And, and if he's able to do that, uh, I think a year from now, people are going to be talking about him in you know, the same way they're talking about Michael Kopeck now.
1: So high praise from Sox general managers. I think a lot of people view. Him as a could be a potential important piece to this Sox team. Seven innings, 12 strikeouts, two hits in his most recent start. That is this episode's rundown. Alright, we go to our first guest, and I'm very excited about this. Gas Money Bob. At Gas Money Bob on Twitter. He has thoughts on the Chicago sports team, particularly the Bears, but he did grow up a Sox fan and I wanted to bring him on the Poll at the Park podcast. This is a baseball podcast. I understand that, but uh, you know, we dive into other topics, you know, other um, very in-depth topics like ballpark food, things of that nature. So Gas Money and I talk baseball for a couple minutes, and then we get into some Bears talk as well. So here's my conversation with Gas Money Bob. Our next guest is the one and only Gas Money Bob. If you don't know Gas Money Bob, maybe the uh, most diehard Chicago sports fans uh, fan out there, in my opinion. Gas Money Bob, would you say that's accurate description of yourself?
0: Um, there's not definitely not anybody that's a bigger fan than I am. Maybe there's a couple people that are the same, but I I kind of doubt that.
1: You're at the top, for sure. Uh, many people know you for your um, your Bears takes. You like to cover the Bears closely. You have a lot of interest in the Bears. We'll get to the Bears in just a second, because you are also a White Sox fan, correct?
0: Uh, yeah, I grew up a White Sox fan. I was, I'm Pretty knowledgeable with the White Sox for sure.
1: All right, so you're. Th-
0: uh, I was you're... at I was at Game Two of the World Series. I mean, you know, there's only what thirty nine thousand of us that could say that.
1: <laughs> right, right. Um, all right. Well, your thoughts at the start to the uh, the White Sox season. I, I think a lot of us anticipated a lot of losses, but maybe not to the extent they're at right now. Your thoughts on the Sox so far?
0: Well, I, what are they like? Eight and twenty, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think they're poised right now. I think they're ready to to, to make a move. Uh, I think I heard Chuck Garfine say that they uh, like almost half of their losses have been by one run. So uh, you bring up uh, Eloy and uh, Kopek. Mm-hmm. and uh, I think I think by the end of the season they'll. I mean I don't know if they're going to win anything, but they could be knocking at the door and probably take over Cleveland and then play the Cubs in the World
1: Series. Who gets you most excited in the White Sox organization uh, on the pro level now and the uh, in the farm system? Is it Mokata, Is it Kopech? Who is it?
0: Uh, I like the guys. I like that they put together a bunch of guys so they can throw 100 miles per hour. That way, you know, when someone's violating uh, the unwritten rules, we have guys that could come out there and uh, just throw out their air holes.
1: So you're a fan of the unwritten rules?
0: I am a fan of respecting the unwritten rules. Right. If you do not respect them, you deserve to be dealt with.
1: And by by saying being dealt with, you mean being pegged by a pitcher with a baseball.
0: Yeah, throw throw at their head, throw at their ribs, uh, you know, fight, do whatever you can to protect the unwritten rules.
1: Right. Well, some people are like are trying to get fighting out of hockey, and you're promoting fighting in baseball.
0: I think fighting should be in all sports. I mean, sports pretty much started with fighting.
1: Am I wrong? (laughs) That's a great. That's a hell of a point. I mean, you think of boxing, wrestling, things like that. That's where. That's basically the root of sports, right there. So I'm I'm with you. How how do you um you know the unwritten rules came up for the Sox recently when Tim Anderson was a little too excited about a leadoff homer. Salvador Perez not happy with them. Well, what are your thoughts on that situation?
0: Well, in that particular situation, I think that Salvador Perez needs to shut his hole because you know the White Sox take precedence over the uh, unwritten rules for everybody else. But I also think that because Salvador Perez was was getting mouthy with them the next time they see Salvador Perez, you got to at least dust him back a little bit and let him know who's boss.
1: A little chin music.
0: Yeah. I mean, or hit him in the chin. It's fine.
1: Right, right, right. All right, well, that's gas money on baseball and unwritten rules. It's interesting stuff. I didn't know you had those uh, particular feelings about that stuff. Let's talk about the Bears for a second. I know this is a baseball podcast, but there, there isn't a bigger Bears fan out there than gas money, Bob, and the, the draft just recently passed. I know you and I had talked a little bit about Quentin Nelson and how much sense it would make for him to, for the Bears to take him, especially as you like to put it, um, you know, attending a, a local Chicago school in Notre Dame. How, how difficult how difficult do you think it is for Quinton Nelson to have to adjust and move to a town as far as Indianapolis from Notre Dame when he could have been playing in his own backyard here in Chicago?
0: Uh, yeah, and it's going to be a tough adjustment. Plus, he has to play inside for at least half of his games. I, and he doesn't have his, his line coach. He's the, the, High stand. The coach made the player. You know, I mean, look at the Cubs pitching today. That's all on Hickey. That's that, It's not you Darvish's fault. Right, coaching. So if he, if he doesn't have Harry Heistan, then he's nothing.
1: Right, right. So well, it's probably a good thing. That, <laughs> it's probably a good thing then that the Bears didn't even have an opportunity. I guess. I mean, he would have been reunited with Heistan, but now Roquan Smith he falls into the Ryan Pace's lap. Your thoughts on that? Uh, At another inside linebacker, hopefully, could be a you know multiple Pro Bowl type guy.
0: Yeah, I mean, this guy's a guarantee to be a Hall of Famer. He'll be the next guy after Urlacher, or, or maybe even Briggs. Uh, the guy's an absolute stud. Uh, and plus, look at all of uh, Fangio's defenses in the past. They all had badass linebackers, and now he's got another one. Uh, I I think it was the perfect pick for this team. Right. You know, defense and getting off the bus running, that's what the Chicago Bears are all about. hmm I think Roquan Smith was the best player in the draft.
1: Best player in the draft. Okay. Uh if you could um well let's break down the rest, I guess, of the uh the Bears draft. They also get a, a line um interior lineman of James Daniels from Iowa. They get Anthony Miller, the receiver from Memphis. Those three guys could be day one game one starters. You gotta be pretty happy with the draft.
0: Yeah, I I mean Daniels, he's a young kid, he's a mauler, a glass eater he's going to he's going to just kick ass. Cody Whitehair could uh, play center. The interior of the Bears line will be the best maybe in the history of football or at least since 1985 Chicago Bears. And Anthony Miller, oh my god, the guy looks I mean, he fights for the ball. He's, he he had to go through so much adversity coming up. The guy just wants to win.
1: Right. Um so uh, for the Bears, by the way, because Roquan Smith, I know a lot of you mentioned maybe he's you know the next great one after Erlacher and Briggs. How would you rank all the Bears linebackers? Buck is Singletary, Erlacher, now Roquan Smith. Uh, how would you rank them in terms of Bears great, uh, greats?
0: Well, it depends on what you mean. Like if I'm ranking them by how much I love them, it goes Singletary first. But there, here's my hot take. I think the best linebacker in Bears history is Brian Urlacher. Wow, and then, and then, uh, Buckus, and then Singletary, and then probably Lance Briggs.
1: Interesting. Uh, why do you say Urlacher? Because of the way he sort of um, reinvented that position a little bit with his speed. Yes, yeah, speed
0: can cover, can tackle, can you know. They didn't blitz him a lot, but he could get to the quarterback. He's smart, you know. You remember back in those games, anytime he was hurt or off the field, the, the defense just wasn't the same. The guy was legendary at being able to get everybody in position. Him and uh, the safety, uh,
1: Mike Brown. Mike,
0: uh, what's his name? Mike Brown.
1: Yeah,
0: there's those two guys, quarterbacks of the defense, but some of the best Bears of all time. I wouldn't be surprised if the Bears eventually. Uh, Made an exception to not retiring any more numbers and retired
1: fifty four. Um, what are your thoughts on Urlacher having hair now?
0: Um, I don't. I'm not a big fan of that. Him and uh, the Ryan Sandberg uh, ads that I see. There's only on, one or yeah, two uh, of, kind of them of the
1: along the Chicagoland highways. It's it's tough to find those ads.
0: Oh God! It's it's uh, it, it. It makes me cringe every time I see it. It's not the same Urlacher. I still respect him. I still love him but I wish you would just uh, pull those plugs.
1: Yeah, I hear you. So how, what would you overall grade Ryan Pace's draft?
0: Uh, I would say A+. Plus. Um, and then if you want me to rank the rest of the division, uh, the Lions had an F, the uh, Vikings had an F, and uh, the Packers had a... Uh, let me check my... Uh, yeah,
1: they had enough too. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that sounds accurate. Um, Aaron Rodgers, by the way, do you see is it part owner now of the Milwaukee Bucks? What are your thoughts on Rodgers in general and uh, him, you know, putting his foot into the NBA game?
0: Yeah, well, nobody likes him. So, I mean, sure, he's throwing some money around, and people are going to take the money and run. But no one likes him. So, I don't see like him being able to bring in free agents or anything. Right. The Guy's a jerk. His family hates him. His, you know, his, his brother really hates him. And that dog in the commercial, you could tell that dog really hates
1: him. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more, Gas Money Bob. Um, you know, you're like the Tom Skilling of forecasting bear weather. Nobody understands <coughs> the essence of bear weather quite like Gas Money Bob. I, I think I asked you this on, uh, on another show we did, Sports Central. But, again, how would you describe and explain bear weather to people?
0: Uh, yeah, like what I said the other day, uh, it's, a, it's, it's not just ice and snow and cold and wind and rain or whatever. It's an attitude. And that's what Chicago is all about blue collar, tough, ferocious attitude, playing at Soldier's Field, you know, right along the lake where it's cold and windy. And, you know, we go out sleeveless, you know, while the other teams, it's intimidating to them. The, the Packers come down from from Green Bay, and they don't know what hit them with the with the lake right off the lake. Right. It's uh yeah. I mean the fair weather is is the weather, and it's the attitude and the heart inside of the Chicago Bears players.
1: Would you say? With, are there any other teams in Chicago that embody? Bear weather, like they understand it. With the White Sox, would you say it would be equivalent of that? They had, they've dealt with some bear weather in terms of you know actual forecast this year. A lot of rainouts. Uh, they had snow out in uh, Minnesota.
0: Uh, yeah, they had. while well, they opening day, which I was at, sitting in the snow while they played. That was that was pretty close to bear weather. And how about that game that day when uh, the Cubs had their opener and they canceled it, and the, the Sox decided that. They didn't need to cancel theirs. They'll play. Yeah. They'll play in that forty degree weather with wind and rain. It's no big deal. That's kind of that South Side attitude too. That's right. That they the South Siders have that same kind of bear weather weather uh, mentality.
1: Here's a conundrum for you. Let's say a member of the Bears, and particularly an offensive lineman, is wearing sleeves when bear weather is going on.
0: Well. I, I, I give an exception because some of these guys are from like Florida or Arizona or wherever. But I think over time they learn, and and if it's a lineman, he'll probably get cut the next uh, Monday.
1: Right. Right. Okay. All right. Well, fortunately, bear weather's. Um, well, it's in the past, so we can warm up a little bit. But bear weather will be back soon. And uh, you have an early season predict- uh, per, uh, prediction for the Bears this year.
0: Yeah, I went over the schedule. It looked like uh, looked pretty promising. I, I think I was at sixteen and 0 for the regular season. Okay, five and 0 for the uh, for the preseason. Hmm.
1: Yeah, well, that makes sense. And then and then uh, you know extending our our projections here past the regular season, we're looking at a Super Bowl run yet, or or what do you think?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, they'll need three more games to win the Super Bowl. I, yep. I can't see them losing any. Right. Especially now with now with this defense and offense stack like it is and and these coaches and the fans especially.
1: Right, right. Okay, um, that's gas money, Bob. And uh, any other final thoughts on the Chicago sports scene in, in general, the Cubs, the Sox, the Bears? Anything else you got for that I may have missed, gas money?
0: I mean, all the teams are are getting ready to win. The White Sox are just about done with their rebuild. The Bulls are almost done with their rebuild. The uh, Blackhawks are just starting to rebuild, but it should be pretty quick. I think maybe in twenty nineteen we'll win four out of five or four out of five teams to win a championship. The only one that won't will be whoever loses to the White Sox or the Cubs in the World Series. Right.
1: <laughs> all right. That's Gas Money Bob. Uh follow him on Twitter at Gas Money Bob. Where can people read your stuff? Barstool sports as well, Gas Money. You posting stuff uh all year round, right?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean more during the season, but yeah. there'll be things here and there during the off season. There was a couple of blog. There's a blog before the draft and a blog after they uh, picked uh, Roquan. So check those out if you uh, missed them, and uh, it's on Barstool Chicago. And yeah. So you'll see a lot more of me come uh, August and September, but there will probably be another one or two before then.
1: All right. It's Gas Money Bob. Appreciate you joining the Powell at the Park podcast. This was mostly dominated by football talk, so um, hopefully everybody enjoyed it. I can't thank you enough. Thanks, Gas Money. All right. You got it, KP. That's Gas Money Bob. That was one entertaining, fun conversation. I love talking to Gas Money Bob. Follow him on Twitter at Gas Money Bob. Read his stuff Barstool Chicago. Thank you to Gas Money Bob. All right, up next on the podcast Tony Andraki, who you've heard here before, he covers the Cubs for NBC Sports Chicago, and we talk about a whole wide range of things from pitching to hitting to the NL Central Division and the Cubs' first month of the season. We're now joined by Tony Andraki with NBC Sports Chicago. He covers the Cubs, and he's the first. This is a huge moment for you, I know, Tony, because you're the first repeat <laughs> guest on the Palo at the Park podcast. How, how does it feel to be on this pod for the second time in a matter of just a, a month or so?
2: You know, it's definitely a career highlight. I'll say that for sure.
1: Throw it on your resume. Could help down the road.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: All right, Tony. I think the last time we talked, you know, it was it was, um, it was was panic button season for some, where people like to panic a little bit. I think it was like two weeks into the season or something. And, and Joe Madden was like, okay, everybody pump the brakes a little bit. Uh, talk to me, 25 games in, a month in, and that's kind of where we're at right now. And the Cubs are right there in the thick of things. They had won uh, five straight. Um, you know, the starting pitching's been better. The hitting's been a little streaky. L- let's start with you, Darvish, though. And um, did in his most recent start, didn't make it out of the fifth inning. That's the fourth time this season he hasn't made it out of the fifth inning. 31-50 ERA in the fifth inning alone. Um, and we'll get into Arietta a little bit, too, because I'm not sure if you saw uh, Gordon Wittmeyer's stuff in the Sun-Times about Arietta and how the Cubs' contract stuff went down. Um, yeah. I'm not about to hit the, the the panic button on Darvish either, but it, like literally couldn't have been a worse start for Darvish so far with the Cubs.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, if you take those two starts against the Brewers out of things, then his numbers are just awful and I mean that's saying something given that his numbers even with those two Brewer starts are pretty bad so I mean yeah you're talking like a a whip over two you know he's allowing more than basically over a hit inning over a walk inning um And stuff like that when it, when it comes down to it. So it's just, he's just getting hit hard and it's everything now. I mean, the Cubs have run out of excuses and they're not making any and Darvish isn't making any, but they've all run out of excuses completely. It's not the cold weather anymore. It's not the rainy weather. He pitched in beautiful conditions to pitch on, on uh, Wednesday here, and it didn't go well. You know, he's getting hit hard. He's having control issues. He's walking the pitcher. There's bad defense behind him. Just all of these things, any bad thing that a starting pitcher can have, Darvish has had so far. And then at the same time, we've also seen kind of vintage Darvish. He's had a couple really good starts. He's had, uh, you know, a lot of swing and miss stuff. Even against the Rockies, he still struck out eight or nine guys and not even five full innings. So, I mean, we see it there. We see the, the whippet ball-like movement but he not put it all together yet for
1: sure. Yeah, and the fans aren't happy. It's not a good look. He gets this huge contract. He's getting booed at Wrigley. Um and it doesn't help that Jake Arrieta is off to a pretty good start with the Phillies. And Gordon had this great piece in the Sun Times. He had, he got some This is the best insight we've gotten so far on how things actually went down between Arrieta and the Cubs and Arrieta was was pretty blunt with it. He said Epstein called him the night before they signed Darvish, offered him a six-year, hundred twenty million dollars take-it-or-leave-it deal, and and uh, Arietta bet on himself. So, I, I mean, I guess this is still kind of early. Especially, we're gonna have to look at the full body of work for these guys. But y- y- were you on board with going with Darvish over Arietta, or were you were you team Arietta when it came to deciding which guy to sign?
2: You know, I think. Uh... That's a tricky question. If you ask me that now, I'm like, oh, yeah, definitely Team Arietta
0: Right, right, right. But,
2: you know, it's revisionist history. But, you know, at the time, I liked the Darvish deal because I liked that it was $4 million average annual value less than the Arietta deal. And even the Arietta deal he signed, the $25 million a year. And I think that's important because that's what the Cubs have to play with. They're not... Going over the the luxury tax, then so now you 're talking about next year with Manny Machado or Bryce Harper or anything else going on and and that free agency, the Cubs would go into that without having the luxury tax. I did think that was important. I liked both of these guys for the future. I still like both of these guys for the future. Mm-hmm. But I think with the Cubs, you were betting on, uh, with Arietta at least, you were betting on a lot more of a known commodity. I mean, Darvish, there's very few guys on this Cubs team that have ever played with or against Darvish. And obviously, Arietta, I mean, you know, almost everybody in that clubhouse, and that he got along well and everything else. But, you know, I think it's, at the same time, like I, you know, I get it. Like I, I, I like Arrieta as a guy. I enjoyed covering him for years, and I'm glad that he's got, you know, a potentially five-year deal worth, you know, 120 something million or whatever it is with the Phillies, yeah. with all those like 135 with
1: escalators, so,
2: yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, 135 over five years is way better than the 120 that the Cubs offered over five years. Again, according to Gordon's story. So, yeah, I, I think it's it was good all around. But I mean, I don't think the Cubs made this bad move with Darvish. I think it's been four bad starts and a and a rough month for him to kick off his career. But we were seeing the same stuff about John Lester three years ago too, and that kind of worked out pretty well, didn't it? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and the thing with Darvish, I mean, I, he's he's had a, a a long enough history where we've been able to see and project a little bit of of what he's going to do long term, and I, you know. I, I don't have much worry when it comes to Darvish. I think he's going to turn things around. I'm sure he's feeling some pressure signing a big deal like that. Um, but it's, it's just kind of, kind of a bad look right now. I understand why there might be some anxiety with uh, Cubs fans with the way Arietta started and uh, the way uh, Darvish has started as well. Um, one other guy, kind of focusing on the negatives here, we'll get to some positives as well. Um, in a little bit, Ian Happ, thirty-five strikeouts and seventy-seven plate appearances. Joe Madden says no minor leagues just yet. They did that. They like if they send Kyle Schwarber down, they're not going to be overly reluctant to send Ian Happ down as well. Do you think that will happen?
2: Uh, that's a really good question, and I think if we're talking about the same struggles. In the same incredibly high level of swing and miss from Hap, you know, in mid June. Then, yeah, I definitely think it's possible, and I think they should. At this point, you know, we're talking here on May second. There's no way you send a guy like that down this quickly. I just don't agree with it. I don't think that that would be the right move to do, but yeah, another month, another six weeks of struggles, definitely. And You know, I think part of the problem, too, has been the ascension of Albert Elmora. I mean, Hap would be out there more. Maybe he would have already worked through his struggles nice. if El Mora wasn't playing out of his mind the way that he has been, and you know, Hap's actually even been a little bit lucky in the sense that... Ben Zobrist was on the DL. But yeah, I mean, either way, the two positions that have plays the most of, center and second, are Elmora and Javi. And right now, you can't really take those guys out of the lineup on a consistent basis.
1: Yeah, it's just another reminder that everyone needs to remember that spring training doesn't matter. Because this is what happens. People get. Spring training only matters if, if, if fans' favorite players are performing well. And everybody gets excited. People were crowning Hap as the leadoff guy, right? Remember, remember his hot spring training? But if a guy sucks in spring training, nobody worries. Everybody says, well, he's working on mechanics or this or that. It's just, it's just a reminder not to take too much stock in what happens in spring training because Hap was absolutely on fire in the desert.
2: Yeah, I mean, and then the first pitch of the season, he hit a right. home and It's been all downhill ever since. <laughs>
1: right, right. Um, okay, give me some positives. Albert Almora, Javi Baez. Uh, what else has, has stood out to you lately? The bullpen's been pretty damn good as well.
2: Yeah, the bullpen has been very good. I mean, Brandon Morrow has been an excellent pickup, and he and is kind of helping unlock some of the CJ Edwards potential that we knew was in there. With you know helping guys uh, attack guys, that's really what Edwards needs to do is throw the balls in the zone and attack guys. And we actually saw it with Edwards in Milwaukee, one of the early series of the year. He threw; he had I think eight or nine swings and misses in one inning. And they were all pitches within the zone. It was just incredible because of the fact that average stuff is so unhittable. Even when he throws the ball in the zone, these guys aren't going to square him up. His only issue comes when he walks guys. So, you know, if he starts attacking hitters the way that he has been this first month and he continues that, and Brandon Morrow, we know what he can do. If those two guys keep doing this can stay healthy, that's a dynamic end of the bullpen. Pedro Stroke's still really good. Steve Seashack, Brian Dunsinger are doing their thing. Um, but, the, honestly, the, to me, over the last like 10 days, it's been the starting rotation. Even with walks, Tyler Chatwood's been good. John Lester and Kyle Hendricks look more like the 2016 form than we saw in last year. as They you know, kind of bounced around with injuries. And then I still think both Quintana and Darvish are going to be fine. Now, their numbers against Milwaukee look great. Good, good news for them, they still have four series left against Milwaukee. Um, but, you know, just in general, I, I think this rotation has still had a really good chance to be one of the best in baseball.
1: As we talk today, Tony, the Cubs, Pirates, Brewers, and Cardinals are all within half a game of each other in the Central. It's early. It's been a month. But who do you think is the biggest threat to the Cubs in the division?
2: Uh, Another good question. I mean, I I still like the Brewers if they can get enough pitching. Um, Mm -hmm. I think with the Brewers, more than anything, it's, it's a matter of what they do with Josh Hader. Because... If he, if they ever decided to move him into the starting rotation, they might have an ace on their hands there. And you're talking about a guy that could potentially go in a wild card game or in game one of, of any sort of playoff series. You know, that's, that's dynamic, but he is been dynamic in, in the bullpen too. So, you know, but really with the Brewers, it all comes down to pitching. I don't think they have enough now. I think Yellich and Kane were great signings, but just in general, it hasn't panned out 100% with that yet um but the cardinals are still the number one priority uh in terms of cubs fans when they're looking at the at the division it, they have everything they have the potential for um you know a very very good starting rotation that can almost rival the cubs a uh, solid bullpen that they got better with Greg Holland a couple weeks ago and then that offense should be pretty good too so i think the cubs definitely have to be worried about the cardinals all the way uh until the end of september here
1: see even the cardinals rotation doesn't scare me all that much compared to the Cubs. To me the Cubs have the most depth in the in the starting five to me. I I, I agree with you. Like I, I don't think the Brewers and Cardinals each have enough pitching, especially the Brewers. I I you know, I appreciated what they did with Kane and getting and Yelich and, and doing all that, but they're definitely a pitcher or two away from being legit contenders. I wrote a blog about this about, you know, the the Cubs dominance Cubs are what, one and seven against the Brewer or excuse me, seven and one against the Brewers. Um, you know, it, it's to me those are reminders that the Cubs are the class of the Central. Cardinals fans want to, you know, punch their speaker when they hear me say that, but they are. The Cubs have ascended to the top of the division. Everybody's looking up at them. You know, the Cubs, the Cubs step up, and you, I, you look back to the second to last weekend against the Brewers when the Cubs went up to Milwaukee with a four game lead in the division and everyone's like, okay, well, this is going to determine they're going to wipe out the Brewers or the Brewers going to, you know, maybe take three or four or sweep them and, you know, maybe make a push for the final couple weeks of the division. And the Cubs went up there and they took three, four, they took care of business. And then this year the Cubs have been, you know, so, so for the most part, but they've dominated the Brewers. And I think it reminds the Brewers and most of the division that look, we get it. Even when we're not playing our best though, we're still the speed bump and the roadblock you got to get through.
2: Yeah, I agree, and I think the, the Cubs, I don't think they overlooked the Pirates at all, but they definitely didn't play their same level of game against that they've had against the Brewers. I think everybody's Cardinals. surprised what the
1: Pirates have done so far. I was not anticipating this going to oh, yeah. start for them.
2: Yeah, me neither, but, you know, like, yeah, they got rid of Andrew McCutcheon and they got rid of Garrett Cole, but they got some pretty nice pieces there as well still. And, you know, I, Corey Dickerson's been incredible for Pittsburgh and I, I don't think they have enough pitching either, mm. but, you know, they're a team that they'll they'll probably be in the mix of things, uh, battling it out for maybe even second or third. But yeah, yeah it's going to be a tough, tough division for the Cubs. It, it's good that they're, for them, that they're off to a great start. And then, you know, you kind of ask him about positives too. Look at all of this. The, where the Cubs are at, you know, in first place for, at the end of April in first place, anyways, and uh, they did all that with Rizzo and Brian, even after today's game, combining for five homers on the season, Wilson Contreras mm-hmm. has won that's the heart of the Cubs order, and neither Rizzo or Brian have really gotten going offensively, so mm-hmm. there, there's some good times coming ahead for the Cubs
1: yeah, and uh, you know the Pirates add a whole new wrinkle into this divisional race if they can sustain this kind of a success. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a fun summer in the NL Central. He's Tony Andraki. He covers the Cubs for NBC Sports Chicago. Follow him on Twitter at Tony twenty three. Tony, appreciate you jumping on, man.
2: Yeah, no problem. Glad to be the uh, first recurring
1: guest. Throw it on your resume. Throw it on your LinkedIn profile. <laughs> it's big time stuff, Tony. Thanks a bunch, Ben.
2: Awesome. Thanks, man.
1: That is Tony and Drackey. Be sure to read his stuff, NBCSportsChicago.com. Always great stuff from Tony. Appreciate him hopping on. All right, there is a new pro baseball team in town, the Chicago Dogs, located in Rosemont. They're part of an independent league, not affiliated with any major league club, but they're in Rosemont. It's a family-friendly thing. You know, it's fun to go out, get some cheap tickets. It's in the Rosemont area. Um, They got a brand-new ballpark as well. So we talked with the owner, Sean Hunter, about the upcoming season. There's a new pro team in town, new ball club in town, out in Rosemont. Uh, excited for the new season, Sean. Appreciate you jumping on the podcast.
4: Uh, my pleasure. We're we're excited as well.
1: Well, lots to lot to touch on here. We'll um, we'll get to a few dates coming up and some promotional things that uh, I know you guys are excited about. Uh, let's just start with the root of this. How does how does one uh, you know kick off an entire baseball team? How does this all start from from the ground up? I think with
4: a lot of luck. I, I, w- I fortunately met Mayor Brad Stevens from Rosemont in the summer of fifteen, and, and he had always had the vision to bring professional baseball to Rosemont, and uh, he wanted to meet someone that had experience in sports and venue development. So we met, hit it off, and kept the conversation going, and we, we agreed to partner the Village and, and myself on, in uh, January 16th. So we started designing what is now Impact Field. And uh, all along that process, we we made our application into the American Association of Independent Baseball, which is a, a very great league that as uh, far north as Winnipeg and south as Dallas, and it's it just all come together. And now opening day is uh, 22 days away.
1: Yeah, for anybody in the, going up and down 294 out near Rosemont, is we've seen the construction of Impact Ballpark, and it looks great. I'm looking forward to you know catching some games, taking a tour of it. Um, and again, before we get to the park, let's talk about the team. Once you have the idea of the team in place, and, and you get you know approval from the league and all those sorts of things, and you guys get the ground you know the groundwork done for the ballpark, how about assembling an actual team, a manager, coaches, players? How does that all come together?
4: Well, I think I, w- I was very fortunate to meet and, and uh, recruit Butch Hobson mm-hmm. to be our first manager. Butch. Uh, a great player, had a, a strong career in, in Major League Baseball with the Red Sox. He ended up retiring as a Yankee. He, uh, he was the skipper of the Red Sox for three seasons back in the 90s and then has been a very successful manager in minor league baseball the last uh, 18 years. So I was able to convince Butch to join our, our project here in Rosemont, and he's assembled a staff uh, of guys that, that all have played uh, either with or for Butch uh, in the Major Leagues uh you know over the last several years so they've they've for the last couple months been building the the roster and bringing in guys from other minor league teams guys that are you know just out of college and they'll be uh bringing 28 guys into our training camp and that will be whittled down to a 23-man roster for opening day
1: well it's pretty cool and the park's located in like a perfect spot. It's right near the. If anybody knows Rosemont, it's near that entertainment area, entertainment district. Basically, right on the other side of the highway from there. So that whole area, a whole lot of fun happening over there. Um, let's talk about the the park, Impact Park. Uh, there's a uh, open house uh, May fifth. Tell people what that is. If is that if fans want to just go and check out the new park, it is. So
4: folk, folks can come out this Saturday from uh, from eleven to five and take. Uh, guided tours they can play catch on the field parents and kids can go down on the field and, and you know we'll be able to give uh tours a, a, a lot of our staff will be there for the for the 6 hours and it's really a chance to get behind the curtain and see how beautiful this park is that we we did not cut any corners in the design and construction and again I I give the cre- credit to Mayor Stevens and and Rosemont but this is uh it's a beautiful park that has all the, the amenities of a major league park it just has the you know, the closeness and intimacy of a, of a, of a minor league park. We have 6,300 seats, every one of them right on top of the field. Very cool.
1: Yeah, it's, I was reading up about it, and I think there's suites, and people can rent out spaces and things like that. that how, how do people go about doing that if they're interested in, in booking an event or, uh, you know, a workouting or a birthday party, something like that?
4: So I, I think the best source of all things Chicago Dogs is our, our website, which is thechicagodogs.com. It's got all of our information on the team, a roster, ticket sales. We we have six unique party decks, so you know we can host groups from twenty up to five hundred. That include pregame picnics. There, you know, one of our unique uh, experiences. You can rent a field suite for sixty people that includes access to our batting cage,
0: nice. which
4: we think is pretty uh, pretty special in, in in any any level of baseball. So there's there's really something for families. There's something. You know, for for the the corporate group from corporate entertainment, and and then obviously we we think given the location here uh, in Rosemont with the the visitors, we we think we'll will uh, be attractive to a lot of different folks that want to look for some summer entertainment.
1: And some exciting news as well: Wiener's Circle, the iconic Wiener Circle hot dog stand in Chicago, is coming to Impact Field. Are they going to be a permanent fixture there all season? What can people? Uh, how can people get their Wiener Circle fix?
4: They are. The world's second wiener circle is nice. moving into Impact Field, so they'll be, they'll, they'll be open on, on uh, opening night, serving their famous Char Dogs and, and Char, Char Burgers. So we're very excited. I'm, 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 I am a big fan of their brand, and, and uh, you know, they've, they've got a, a bit of a, a reverent attitude that I think will bring a little bit of that to the park as yeah. well.
1: Well, I'm like a ballpark foodie. You know, I like to see what different parks are around Major League Baseball and minor league parks are, um, you know, serving up as well. Other than Wiener Circle, can people expect, you know, a full menu of of, of creative stuff at the uh, Impact Park?
4: There will be a, a full menu. So we've got a private club uh, that that will include an all all you can eat high end uh, Levy buffet, mm-hmm. where beer, wine, and soft drinks are included. We've got picnics, the picnic areas I mentioned earlier, and then our general concession stands will have you know the best Chicago dogs in town. We'll have pizza, we'll have great Mexican food. It, it, it'll really be a nice, uh, diverse offering. And, and I mentioned Levy Restaurants as our food and beverage partner; they're, I think, the best in the industry worldwide. Mm-hmm. So they, they've got all of the great venues here, from United Center to Wrigley, and and uh, I've worked with them over my career for the last twenty years. So I'm glad to to be bringing them. To impact field,
1: yeah, we talked about the opening uh, open house on May fifth, Saturday. This Saturday coming up, uh, opening weekends a few weeks away. You guys will be playing the Kansas City T-Bones. What can people expect opening weekend?
4: It's going to be a lot of energy, a lot of uh, celebration. So we, it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday homestand. Will kick off obviously the inaugural game, the, the little bit of history there. On Friday night, the 25th, we'll have fireworks that night. And then on Saturday we'll come right back with fireworks again. And then we're excited on Sundays, we're introducing our family days, where every Sunday it's an opportunity uh, for the kids to get free autographs following the game. And then we're introducing what we call the Top Dog Skills Competition, where uh, girls and boys ages 8 to 15 will compete in an almost an all-star type skills competition every Sunday for the two hours following the game. So home run. Running the bases, um, uh, pitching it, it it'll be a, a lot of fun. M- many theme nights, but but opening weekend will carry a little bit of extra uh, energy and and excitement
1: it's uh, very cool. I love the idea of it where it's located. There's a whole lot of families in that area and you know in the Northwest Burbs, North bur- uh, Burbs, West Burbs. It's pretty easy to get to that area as well. 50 home games including uh, opening weekend as we mentioned and Father's Day. Anything else people should know about the team, the park, promotional events, anything we may have missed so far.
4: I think the, the the greatest thing is just how nice the park is and the affordability. Our average ticket price in the bowl is just under $14. So you, you, you've got tickets under under $10. Actually, our our bleachers are even awesome. Our bleachers have backs to them. So we have 500 bleachers out in, in right field. And then um, all of the seats are beautiful new stadium seats. We have uh, 400 seats behind home plates that are wider and cushioned that include uh, in seat service. You can order food and beverage from your seat. There's a, there's a little bit of, uh, entertainment for everyone, but I think probably the most, uh, the two most surprising things will be how nice the park is and the affordability.
1: Well, we're looking forward to it again, opening weekend, May 25th, thechicagodogs.com. If you'd like to get some tickets, check out their uh, their schedule and team merchandise, all that good stuff. Uh, we're really looking forward to this season and a new team in town. So uh, Mr. Sean Hunter, he's the owner of the Chicago Dogs, um, and I can't thank you enough for joining. Appreciate it. Good luck to a great season.
4: Kevin, thank you. Hope to see
1: you at the park. That's going to do it for Episode 9 of the Powell at the Park Podcast. Thank you to Gas Money Bob. Always like talking to him. Thanks to Tony Andraki, NBC Sports Chicago. And thanks to Sean Hunter from the Chicago Dogs. I'm Kevin Powell. Follow me on Twitter at KPowell720. On Instagram, powell 720 wgn Please subscribe on iTunes if you haven't already. We'll talk to you next week on the Powell at the Park Podcast. Have a great day.